Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Dr. Frankie, and welcome to Vision of Health the podcast where I talk to qualified experts about what being healthy really looks like. Through our conversations, we'll bridge the gap between the scientific evidence base and you, the everyday person who just wants to live a healthier lifestyle. I am very much on a mission to provide evidence-based educational content and practical tips that you can actually implement in your everyday lives. Our wonderful sponsors, FemFresh, who have supported me for a number of years now, share the same vision, to open up conversations on taboo subjects, to bust the health myths and improve women's health. FemFresh are not only industry leaders in women's intimate hygiene products, but also committed on educating on all things women's health. And this podcast just wouldn't be possible without their support. But you can also catch on socials at FemFresh underscore UK and on their website, FemFresh.co.uk. I'm Dr. Frankie, and this is my vision of health. It's no secret that I'm a huge advocate for exercise, and I spend a lot of time both online and with my patients, emphasizing the importance of the physical and mental benefits of long-term exercise. I really love the quote, if exercise were a drug, it would be one of the most widely prescribed drugs of all time. And I can't think of a better person to discuss this with than my next guest, Alice Living. After graduating from Bird College of Performing Arts, she took the musical theater world by storm. She then transitioned to become a personal trainer, and with over 10 years of experience, she has a portfolio of celebrity clients. She's a household name and she's hugely respected in the industry. She has a regular column in Women's Health magazine and has graced the covers multiple times. She is also a best-selling author of three chart-topping books. She also is a social media sensation and has her own educational podcast, Give Me Strength, which I can vouch is excellent and it has millions of downloads. She also has the most amazing, accessible and hugely informative fitness app, Give Me Strength. 
She is also an all round amazing human and one of my best friends. And I can't wait to chat to you. Oh my God, that was such a nice introduction. Thank you so much. I'm your cheerleader. You are. And I hope that I will, yeah. Well, you've been on my podcast and I hope I did the same for you. Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome to Vision of Hell. Thank you so much for having me. It's actually so nice. I feel like we've both been so busy at the moment that we can just have some time in the diary where we can chat uninterrupted for an hour. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> I think one of the things I love about chatting you like as friends is that we always get into the nitty gritty every conversation we have kind of feels like therapy and so I think people are going to learn so much from you because we really do get into the detail so I think the, a great place to start and a really kind of pertinent discussion point is your transition over the last 10 years from clean eating Alice to where you are now I think it's a journey that we can all resonate with I think we've all been on our own journeys and many people have had the same transition. Talk to me about that. So I think you make a really good point there because I absolutely agree with you that my journey, quote unquote, <laughs> is no different from many others. And I think that when I first set out, as many of us do, first of all, I worked in an industry that was incredibly image obsessed. So when I first started dancing, age three, I even had memories back to the age of like, you know, seven, eight, nine, where I would have my dance teacher tell me that I'd never make it as a ballerina because my physique wasn't quite right and I didn't look the part. And so I have known that like image is a hugely integral part of the industry that I wanted to go into. But I loved what I did. And so I went headfirst into it. And I remember, you know, during my first year at Bird College, this feeling of like not quite being enough. And I know that that sounds awful because in some ways I'd auditioned to get in there and I'd, you know, earned my place. But the reality was that I looked around me and I saw bodies that looked different to mine. And my only conclusion was, well, clearly I need to change something about myself because if I want to succeed in this industry that I'm desperately trying to get into, I need to change myself. And so from my second year onwards, my whole vision became about, well, I need to be smaller. And I think a lot of us do that, whether you're in the theater industry or not. I think so many of us can wrap up this idea that we need to be smaller to be more successful, that our body size, our shape, and everything about how we look is integral to how we then are seen by the world. Mm. And so for me, I suddenly got wrapped up in this idea that absolutely being smaller was somehow going to make me a better person and a more employable person in the industry I wanted to get into. So I set out on a fat loss journey my physique changed and I documented that online under the name Clean Eating Alice. And initially, a lot of people really resonated with what I was doing. You know, everyone loves a fat loss journey. Everyone loves a physical transformation. I think that, you know, I represented to women this opportunity that they could do the same as me and that it was, it was totally possible. And there are absolutely parts of that journey that I really regret and I've learned from. But I think in reference to your question about the shift, I continued that fat loss journey and my body fat became incredibly low. I was shredded and I sustained that for a short period of time in a manageable way. But there came a point where my body started to disagree with what I was trying to do. I wasn't eating enough. I suddenly was on a tour around the UK doing eight to 10 shows a week, dancing my ass off and not taking on enough energy to sustain that level of output. My period stopped I wasn't sleeping, 
I was massively fatigued all the time. My memory started to go. So I found myself having these like cognitive changes. I will never forget a show in Annie where I came out on stage and went to sing and the words didn't come out. Like my brain just didn't compute. And there were all these things that started to happen. And to be honest, like there was a real light bulb moment for me when yeah, I realized that my pursuit of health wasn't actually health. Mm. And actually what I was doing was pursuing an ever smaller physique at the expense of what was genuinely health. Yeah. And that was a big wake up call. So the shift to Alice Living, to everything that I am now, was really like the opportunity for me to have to unlearn a lot of really bad habits and a lot of disordered eating, exercise, and to genuinely find what true health was for me. And I think that I feel so grateful going back to my original point about the fact that my journey is very similar to other people's in that documenting that shift and that change meant that I think a lot of people bought into this like, this idea that so many of us see ourselves as we're at our best when we're at our smallest. And actually I wanted to shift the narrative. I don't think that's the case. And this whole experience that I've now had and what I now do with all of my social content and all the work that I do is about really finding what health means for each individual and that that doesn't necessarily have to be wrapped up in you being at your physically smallest. Yeah. I think one of my pet peeves, thanks for sharing that by the way. That was really long as well. No, so. it was great. <laughs> um, I think one of my pet peeves on social media, and I, I think from what you said, probably one of yours too, is that people who look a certain way tend to grow really quickly. They tend to, you know, get a lot of people buying into their idea of health. And actually from a health perspective, you know, having a six pack doesn't mean that you're the best personal trainer in terms of, you know, getting the best out of your clients or necessarily being healthy yourself. You know, you could have really bad habits like smoking or taking drugs or have really poor mental health. And they're not things that you can see from the external appearance. I think our health really does go beyond what we look like. And that must be really hard when you have so much knowledge to share and you see people, you know, getting all of this fame and it's, and it's based on the maybe not the correct thing. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. In some ways, like I'm a realist, sex sells. Like ultimately we know that within the fitness industry, myself included, like when I think back to some of the photo shoots that I've done in the past, like we know that showing more flesh, having an aspirational physique help you to kind of garner interest and for people to be drawn to you because that's the world that we live in. And I think that, yeah, you're absolutely right. It meant that as my physique changed and as I felt as though I didn't necessarily fit into that category, nor did I want to peddle that narrative either. Mm. It made it harder for me to reach to people and, and kind of have that level of, trust me, I'm a great coach, but I'm not gonna sell that to you through the way that I look. Yeah. And so you're right. Like you have to really back yourself on everything else that you are as a coach. So for me, that meant that I've never dropped the ball on education. I'm always doing courses. I'm always learning. I'm always trying to better myself as a mm. trainer because I'm not gonna be the tits and ass as a trainer that, that some others might be. So what I will be is, I'll be the smartest. I'll be the one that's gonna have the knowledge to back up everything that I'm telling you to do. I'm gonna be the one that's hungry to learn. I'm gonna be the one that is gonna deliver, you know, genuine, accessible, sustainable, realistic fitness advice. Yeah. And so I think that you just have to understand that there are, there are different lanes on Instagram and we can't play to all of them. We can't be everything to everyone. And, you know, that's a lesson for life, not just on Instagram either. So we have to realize that 
play to your strengths, play to the things that genuinely make you happy. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, I have moments where I think, fuck's sake, like, you know, why has that got 700 million likes and mine's got 3000 because, you know, people seem to care so much more about that. But at the end of the day, when I go to bed at night and I put my head on the pillow, I'm like, I'm doing a good job. Yeah. And I back myself in everything that I do. And I am happy with the content that I put out. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. I think some of the people listening will really need to hear that because I think so many of us started our kind of journey with exercise based on how we look. Mm. You know, my, I myself started getting into fitness when I was at university because I just noticed the first year student life made me a little bit plump. And actually, that isn't the reason I stayed. That isn't the reason exercise became part of my routine. It, it was definitely the reason I started like so many. But everything you say about it being a sustainable habit the aesthetic side of it gets boring and it gets miserable when you're giving up your life. I th and I think you make a really good point because I think that we have to understand that the world we live in means that for, I would say, I mean, this is a made up statistic, <laughs> but I'd say around 80 to 90% of people will get into fitness because they want to change the way they look. Yeah. But it's not what keeps them going with their fitness routine. So I am not going to discount the fact that there is an aesthetic element to training mm. and that is some people's motivation. And I think it's okay to, to kind of have that. I'm not gonna sit here and say, you should never train for, to, you know, to change the way you look. I know for some people that that is their reality and I want to be supportive of all people who embrace mm. exercise. I think whatever your reason, at least you're doing it and that's great. But I think that you're absolutely right. If we can just wean out of people some really positive other benefits that they, you know, say with clients, for example, Nine times out of 10, people will come to me and say, the reason that I want to come and see you, Alice, is because I'm getting married or I've got a school reunion or I've got a dress that I want to fit into. That's fine. And I'm totally going to validate their goal. And that's totally normal for them to say that. But what I also might do is say, that's an amazing goal. We're going to get you there. But I'd love you to shift your focus to think about some other more tangible goals that can really keep us invested in your journey. Yeah. So that might be that we work on them getting their first pull up. It might be that we're working on some skill based exercises. It might be that we're working on their cardiovascular fitness. Whatever it is, we're always trying to bring it back to let's look at other things that are gonna be far more tangible for you to progress in your exercise journey rather than you fitting into a certain dress yeah. or looking a certain way because that's a far less tangible and less sustainable goal. Yeah. So I think it's just about trying to help people to shift the narrative or if not shift it, expand it. You can still train to want to look good. I don't deny that that's sometimes people's motivation, but let's just expand it and include other things as well. Yeah, I think for me, when I was training for the London Marathon, I noticed that I started having to eat more because if I didn't, I felt really rubbish on a run. Mm. So when I ate more food, I felt like the runs were easier. So then that became my goal. And actually I became very like performance focused. Like you said, getting your first pull up, I had this long run in mind, but actually my body did change for the better and I enjoyed that change. But it was really like a quite a good transition in my head for kind of having that performance focus and I think yeah. it's totally fine to have those aesthetic goals but just remembering there are more benefits of exercise than we than we see shoved down our throats on magazine covers yeah. or on social media uh, completely but I also think once you hit that goal well then what yeah. you know and that's where I was that was my reality like I hit the goal. I was the postcard of you know fitness and I had the six pack and then it was like mm, 
well now what? Yeah. And I think that that that's often what I see is that people train to look a certain way, but once they're there, it's like, oh shit, I've got to maintain this now mm. for the rest of my life. And actually, if that's a particularly lean physique, that's maybe not sustainable for you to maintain long-term, mm. that's a really hard place to be because you've suddenly put this body that you're suddenly in as the best you've ever looked. Then if you come away from that even a tiny bit, it's like, oh, I failed. Yeah. And I think that's the mindset that I think re is really hard for people to unravel themselves from is, yes, training to look a, a certain way is fine, but if it's the only thing, what next when you get there? Mm. And I think that's, again, going back to that expansion of, I'm gonna train for X, Y, or Z, mm. trying to look at other things that also make you feel motivated. You know, looking a certain way is not what gets me out of bed on a cold winter's morning when I'm like, I'm yeah. gonna go to the gym. It's the fact that I'm gonna feel amazing afterwards. It's the fact that I enjoy my sessions. It's the headspace, it's the stress relief. It's all of those things for me. And none of that has anything to do with how I look. Yeah. And it's, you know, we can all see from your documented journey how far you've come. If someone listening to this is not quite there yet and they're still going through that journey themselves and they're struggling maybe with their body image or their relationship with food and exercise what advice would you give to them like where can they start what things can they do each day that can help repair that relationship yeah I think that's such a good question because it can feel really hard and really isolating when you're like oh I want to I want to step away from dieting which let's just say dieting is exhausting and you know I, I speak to so many people who find the relentless nature of like constantly feeling as though they have to be on a diet really hard so if you get to the point where you're like you know what I'm done with this I want a different approach great but then it can feel like oh my god where do I start so I think the first thing is looking at you know your behaviors so I'll reference certain things that I tend to work with people on but the first is like if you're wearing a fitness tracker does it rule your life if you're using a calorie tracker, does it rule your life? Are you constantly tethered by these kind of external metrics to make sure that you're disciplined in what you're doing? And if you can just start to lessen the control of those things and start to be a bit more objective about what you want to, to do, I think that can be really helpful. I think the other thing is just to really readdress within yourself, like what well, and, and this is what worked for me anyway, what health means to you. Mm. Like if you're wrapping your health, well-being, success, desirability, likability into a body shape, into a look, that's a really hard place to find yourself because sustaining that and, and having that as like the, the ultimate place that you can be is pretty unfulfilling mm. and, and hard. So I think it's about understanding like, what does genuine health mean to you? What do you want to get from, from life? And what, what does happiness look like for you? I'll, I'll use example of me, like the body that I inhabit now is the body that allows me to live a genuinely fulfilling life. Yeah. It's the body that allows me to like go for pizza with some friends or go out for some drinks with my girlfriends or be able to skip the gym for a week because I'm actually just feeling really stressed and tired and busy. It's the body that lets me do all of those things and have that flexibility. And that means that this is the body that gives me that life, mm. the life that I genuinely enjoy. If I think back to the body that I used to be in, it was a life that was ruled by discipline. It was ruled by unavailability, canceling plans, worrying about social occasions, 
training when exhausted, overriding my body's internal signal to like have a day off or mm. to have some more food. So I think that I had to really readdress within myself, like this might not be my dream body, like let's put it that way, but it's the body that lets me have a life that I've dreamed of. And I think that's the shift that sometimes people need to get to. And look, that's not saying that it's easy. It's really hard. And that doesn't mean that I don't have days where I'm like, oh, I'm having a really difficult day today. Yeah. Like when we look in the mirror, we're just like, you know what, I'm not feeling my best today. But nine times out of 10, I'm able to override that narrative and say, but this is the body that gives me the life that I really want yeah. and gives me that freedom. So that's the the, the kind of sacrifice that I'll make. Yeah. But sometimes and, I have days where I feel crap. Yeah, mm. and I can vouch like as your friend, like what your body looks like is the least interesting thing about you. Exactly. Like you offer so much more yeah, as a person. Yeah. You have such a high value person that just like makes everyone feel great. And so literally what you look like is one aspect of that. And I think that's a really great point about differentiating that. We hear the word intuitive eating or intuitive training. Mm. I like it because I think I actually live by it. But do you think people have to go through that cycle of kind of restriction or obsession to get to the point that they can actually do it intuitively? Or do you think you can actually do it in a healthy way? Oh, that is such a good question. Okay, so intuitive eating itself as a concept is actually a kind of protected strategy that was created by Evelyn Triblet and I can't remember the other person, but it was like a book and it's a, it's a proper strategy to deal with disordered eating and eating disorders. And it's sort of a, a kind of rejection of diet culture. Mm -hmm. So if we set that aside as being what it originally was, the, I guess, kind of watered down version, which people like you and I might use it when we use that terminology is developing a level of intuitiveness within your diet, whereby you might eat more some days, you might eat less, you might have meals out and, and all of that is okay. And it's kind of, you're listening to your body's internal hunger and fullness signals mm. and trying to be more intuitive with those rather than eating in a you know macro plan or whatever it is. So I think that that itself can only be a good thing. I think it's mm. it, it can only be a positive thing that we start to listen to what our body's telling us, how full we are, how hungry we are. So I think that I like the the idea of it, but I think that sometimes the reality of it can be really hard. And to your question, does someone have to come from a restrictive background in order to embrace intuitive eating? Not necessarily, but I think that people that do come from a restrictive background can really enjoy and embrace the fact that intuitive eating offers them a way of just trying to think about food less, mm. for it to not occupy such a huge amount of energy within yourself. So me five years ago, I would say that like a lot of my energy throughout the day, you know, I'd be sat here and I'd be already thinking, where am I going to go for lunch? Where can I get a lunch that's low calorie this? You know, have I eaten too much? Or like if I had done something where I hadn't done enough exercise this morning, I'd be like, gosh, I need to try and work out where I'm going to fit in. Like my brain would just constantly be mm. going through this narrative of like, I haven't done enough. I need to do this. I need to do that. And my life was dictated to by eating certain foods, like my my world became so small mm. because it was so exhausting, this like idea that I could only eat in a certain way. So what intuitive eating does for a lot of people who do come from restrictive background is it just frees you up from having that constant internal narrative mm. of like thinking about food and about their body. And I do think it's a really positive thing. My only reservation is that it maybe sounds 
easier than it actually is, mm. you know? And I think that like, we can always dress stuff up to be like, oh, it's so simple. Just yeah. do intuitive eating. I completely agree. Eat intuitively. I, I always want a croissant. Yeah. And uh, every day I could wake up and I think, I really want that pastry. And I, but I know it's not good for me yeah. to have it every day. And I think we live in a world where like we're exposed to highly palatable food. Yeah. Like I personally have struggled with binge eating. And so for me, intuitive eating is not always the best thing for me because if I'm having a particularly bad day, I can go home and have one biscuit turns into 10, turns into having five bowls of cereal, turns into like feeling horrifically sick and like struggling with then mm. the guilt and the feelings that come along with that. So again, like I think a lot of this stuff, these kind of like sound bite words can be dressed up as, oh, it's so easy. Just eat intuitively, yeah. listen to your body's hunger and fullness signals. For some people it works brilliantly, but it doesn't work for everyone. And it's not as simple as just saying, just listen to your body. Yeah. And I think that you're right in this world where we have access to highly palatable foods, food 24 seven, it is more difficult to then just be like, I understand what my body's telling me and I understand my mm. hunger and fullness signals. Yeah. I think that I'm not an expert on intuitive eating either. So I will just say that. But I do think that as with a lot of these things, it can often appear more easy than it actually is yeah. and more simplified than it actually is. Yeah. There's a saying, old habits die hard and you've made so much progress. Do you still have those bad days where you resort back to those kind of unhealthy uh, habits? Yeah, I think... Like, I, again, like I'll use this phrase and I I hope it sounds okay and it doesn't sound too gimmicky, but I am a genuine realist when it comes to my expectations of myself. Like I come from years and years of conditioning of diet culture, of being in an industry that is so focused on being small and looking a certain way. And so, you know, you can't just undo that in a few years. You know, I have a therapist, that's great. I'm doing lots of things within my power to get myself into a really good place. Mm -hmm. But again, like it doesn't mean that it's easy and it doesn't mean that I'm suddenly like, I'm cured from mm. ever thinking about diet culture yeah. ever again. So yeah, absolutely. There are moments where I might be at the gym and I'll catch myself in the mirror and I'll be horrified by what I see and think, oh God, I really need to lose weight or like I really need to get myself in shape. Yeah. What I would say I'm a bet way better at doing now though is challenging those thoughts. Yeah. They can still come in, but it doesn't mean I listen to them. I'm able to sort of think the thought and then be like, oh, don't be so silly, Alice. Yeah. You look great and you feel great and you're having a really good training session. And actually you've been there before and it didn't make you happy. Yeah. So it's so it's not that you escape your, you know entirely from having that process of thoughts coming in and out, but you're able to challenge them far better. Yeah. And that means that you have more resilience to be able to manage the down days. Yeah. And it's like with any aspect of our health, you know, we're not aiming for perfection here. If the good days are in greater in number than the bad days, then you're doing a good job. And it's the same, you know, for anyone listening that seeing people as like this perfect figure, like we all have unhealthier mm. habits or we all have days where it doesn't quite go to plan. And I think that's really important for people to know. 100%. And and like, that's the the fallacy of social media. Like it all looks so wonderful yeah. and shiny. And so, like someone said to me the other day, I actually went for dinner and they said, do you ever have a day where you just eat unhealthy food? And I was like, that's so interesting because <laughs> I eat a lot of unhealthy food. Yeah. And they just had this idea of me that I was like perfect nutrition all the time. And it's just interesting, isn't it? Because we see the behind the scenes of social media when actually oh, yeah. like, I eat really normally and wouldn't say my diet was particularly like gold standard at all. But no. yeah. 
So let's get into the nitty gritty of exercise because I honestly just advocate for exercise so much. Mm -hmm. I think it can solve so many problems that we just trying to put a plaster on with medication. Obviously, there's still roles for medication in modern medicine. I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing that, but I think we underestimate the benefits of exercise for our health. Talk to me about some of the benefits of exercise for our health. I mean, yeah, they are so vast. And I think that it also is something that we're learning so much more about. It's such an emerging area of research, particularly at certain stages of our life as well. When we look at all of the stuff that's being done around menopause, there's been some excellent research about strength training during the menopause coming out. And there's been some brilliant stuff about training during pregnancy. We know that the guidelines have now shifted on that. So yeah, it's a really exciting place to be because we're learning so much more about how beneficial it is. But let's talk about the ones that we know first off. So obviously we know that training can be split into kind of two modalities mainly we have sort of strength and resistance training and then cardiovascular training both of which are equally important for us so we need muscle on our bodies it's a really good thing to have and retain as we age and we need our body to be able to be efficient at using and transporting oxygen around our body so if we look at those two things tick, tick, we kind of want something of those two. But how one goes about doing those things can be really different and really vast. We know that particularly within strength training, there are benefits of better bone density, maintaining muscle as we age. So we know that muscle atrophies and and actually that starts happening after the age of like 30. So we know that trying to- Yeah, I know. (laughs) God, (laughs) trying to maintain that is really important. Proprioception, mental benefits, cognitive function. I mean, you actually referenced this on my podcast, but how the brain can actually have changes as a result of doing regular exercise and that can stave off degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. So we know that there's so much wrapped into the benefits of exercise. I think that we could go on about the benefits and I'm cautious sometimes that, you know, you're a doctor, I'm a personal trainer. Like we could go into the nitty gritty, but I also think that there's something to be said for the most important thing being it, it makes people feel great. Yeah. You know, if you were to get someone like, and, and I love it, I've, I'm not a massive class person per se. Like I tend to do my own training at the gym, but I've recently started going to this boxing class. Yeah. And you're just loving it. Honestly. And like, it's not even just me. It's like the collective feeling of like seeing people like this tangible moment where the class finishes and you look around and like, everyone is kind of buzzing Mm. and everyone feels great. And no matter what you've walked into that room with, it's like this kind of community feeling of, oh, we did that. Like it was was great. And that's how I feel with F45. I actually don't go there anymore necessarily for the physical benefits. It's literally (laughs) because I just love it. It's like my happy place. And I think that that's what we always have to bring it back to. Like you could list off so many things about why exercise is great for us. And look, I'm happy to go into those. But to those that are listening, I would say, Next time you do a workout, just take a pause when you finish Mm. and have that moment of reflection. And actually, if you start to do that when you exercise, your brain will start to connect that positive feeling, that uplift, that post-workout high to exercise being a really good thing for you. Mm. And again, going back to our original point earlier of trying to shift the focus away from being about how you Mm. look, that would be the first thing that I'd start doing. Just have a moment to be like, feel great today I feel amazing I've done something I've achieved something yeah it's like we're recording this early in the morning and we both got up this morning in the dark and cold to train and I went for a run you went to the gym and for me I did that because I wanted to be fresh I wanted to feel great for this I wanted to be like mentally alert Mm. and I know that getting some fresh air and moving my body in the morning is a great way to to do that rather than starting the day feeling sluggish or you know late yeah is there 
a certain way we should be exercising? What's the best form of movement? Oh God, I get asked this, this question all the time. Like, what's the best exercise? What's the best type of movement that we should be doing? And I think that it's because we want to oversimplify something that is actually yeah. like way more complex. You know this more than most. We love sound bites. We love it being like, you know, you just need to do this and this and it's easy. I wish it were that way. But I actually think that the nice answer is there isn't a best form except for the one that you enjoy. And when we look at the benefits of exercise, what we see time and time again within the research is there are two cohorts. There's the exercise that maybe on paper is quote unquote better for our physical well-being, But also there's the level of can someone stick to that consistently? And consistency we know is actually gonna trump the best form of exercise time and time again. Like I would way rather someone be able to go to their local Zumba three times a week consistently for 10 years than someone be put on an exercise plan where they're going to the gym five times a week and after six weeks they're like, I can't do this anymore, this is too much. And they stop and they give up and they feel as though they failed. So I think we have to look at two things. It's yes, on paper, we know that some form of strength training is important and that's using either your body's resistance or added resistance with load. Then we know that cardiovascular exercise is important. And I think it is important to kind of respect those two things, Mm. but those can look really different. So within cardio, it could be cycling, running, walking, hiking. It could be swimming. It could be a sport, exactly. It could be so many things Mm. that we often try and distill it down to, well, running's the best Mm. or lifting weights is the best. Mm. It's not. It's what you're able to stick to consistently. Yes, that tick those two boxes, but that you're able to do over time that you genuinely enjoy. Yeah, and and to not make it feel like a chore. You know, mm. I know that I I do run, and I could be a better runner if I was really diligent with my running program all the time. Mm. But I also enjoy going on hikes, and I also enjoy playing tennis. And so, yes, that means that I'm not dedicating as much skill into getting better at running, but it means that I keep running because yeah. it doesn't feel like a burden. I'd also say, and I think that's a really important point you're saying like sometimes my things shift and vary I also think we tend to like marry ourselves to a certain way of moving our bodies we're like I'm a runner yeah when actually it's totally okay for like across your lifetime for your workouts to shift your interest to shift Mm. your modality of training to change and like that's fine like you don't have to do certain things forever because it's like the best thing I'm always like that in winter when I'm playing tennis outside and one day it was actually snowing and I was like I'm a tennis player. I have to play through winter. And I was like, maybe I should just retire in the winter and just come back to this in a few months. And that's what I mean. I think like, yeah, we we like we can shift and ebb and flow with what we do. Yeah. And that's so fine. Something you mentioned just before that I would like to pick up on is mm. the benefits of strength exercise as we age. Because I think these are very vast and particularly for the generation that are going through menopause now or Mm. aging, Mm. they grew up in a era where we were told to shrink ourselves and strength training wasn't really trendy for women. It was seen as for men. And we know now that it is absolutely what we should be doing as we age, as our estrogen levels drop Mm. and our muscle mass declines. Mm. Regular strength training can actually prevent us having falls when we're older Mm -hmm. and, you know, keep us young for longer. Mm -hmm. Tell me a bit about that. And I also think that like, and this is really relevant, we forget, for example, that like even our pelvic floor is a muscle and that yeah. atrophies as we age. So what we see particularly with women in, you know, who are of menopausal age is they start to have these shifts within their body, exactly said as estrogen diminishes, that they're like, 
but I used to be able to do this and I can't do this now. And I think that what we have to understand is that strength training can be a really brilliant way of being able to just mitigate some of those symptoms. Yeah. We're not saying it's the be all and end all, you know, if you're not into it or you can't access it, don't worry. But I do think that there is so much emerging research in this area that shows how beneficial it is. We only have to look at the rates of osteoporosis and arthritis within that age bracket and particularly at older as well. We know that that disproportionately affects women. So I think that within that, we have to understand that we clearly weren't doing something right. And yeah. if we can shift the focus to be around doing some form of resistance training. It doesn't have to be lifting heavy weights. That's the other thing. I think a lot of women of kind of my my parents' generation, if I said to my mom, oh, mom, you just need to lift weights, I think she'd be really intimidated by that. Yeah. So I think we have to have some level of compassion for the fact that it's, it's not just as simple as saying, we'll go and pick up some weights, but it's about making it accessible, making women of that age particularly understand the benefits and making, and, and again, this is part, partly why I made my app was that I was like, I just didn't feel like there was someone catering to that age bracket where it can feel really intimidating to walk into a gym yeah. and be like, I want to lift some weights, but I do not know where to start. And I feel completely clueless as to like what to do. So yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. It's a really pivotal age bracket in which some form of resistance training can be really helpful. Again, it's not going to be like a curative thing, but it's definitely something that can mitigate symptoms yeah. and can help manage symptoms. I would add into that that like community can also be a really important thing when it comes I mean we referenced that already this this podcast but particularly at that age so I mean I've seen some amazing examples of, of this on social media but where community can be something that, that we tend to lose as we get older you know our, that their kids might not be at school anymore or they might not necessarily have a group of friends around them that has seen them through life to yeah. that age and so if you can find something where you can develop and, and garner a sense of community particularly as we get older we know that that's even beneficial for our brains, for our general well-being. So I think that there are a multitude of benefits, but yeah, I think that we need to make it accessible. We need to make gyms more friendly to those that might not necessarily be in a quote unquote lean body and of a certain age. And I think that like, you know, you doing things like this are a huge educational piece for women to go, oh, right, okay, maybe I can do that. And yeah. like that, that can, you know, they're speaking to me and not just to the younger generation. Yeah, and I think for people who are intimidated about stepping foot in the weights area, like following a program is a really great way of, or doing a class is a great way of overcoming that barrier because mm. you don't feel like you're on your own. Mm. But what I would say is when people are in the gym, I really don't think anyone's looking at each other. I mean, I have this thing. I'm like, nobody Well, they cares. might be looking at you because people oh, no. know who you God, are. <laughs> no, no one cares about me. I literally, like my gym vibe is like headphones on, world out. Yeah. And I genuinely, like, and the gym that I go to anyway, the men care way more about how they look in the mirror than look at me. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. It's like, yeah, it's intense. But but they, they don't care. Yeah. Most people in there care more about themselves than they do about anyone else. Yeah. So yeah, I, I understand being gym intimidated is yeah. my favorite phrase. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but I think that, you know, and we do have to do some work to help people overcome that, particularly those that maybe feel less welcome in spaces like, you know, an exercise environment. However for the most part, I don't think people care. <laughs> when it comes to exercise, this is something that I really resonate with. We are really hard on ourselves and we don't really cut ourselves much slack in terms of what is enough exercise. I'll give you an example. This morning, I was really short of time. I was a little bit late out the door and it was still like 6.30 a.m. So I was doing a good job. And I thought to myself, I need to run 5K. Four and a half K, 20 minutes or something would have been 
fine. But we get into our heads that we have these like arbitrary values that we have to meet. How much exercise is enough? Well, I can give you the diplomatic answer, which is the government recommended guidelines, or I can give you my genuine answer. So we know that the government recommends that we do 150 minutes of exercise per week. So that can be broken down into however that might look for someone, three 50 minute sessions, whatever, you do the maths. But I think that the reality is that enough exercise actually looks really different for everyone. And the other thing is that we have to separate what enough looks like if we take away the diet culture element. So yeah. if we take away the fact that exercise is actually a really poor modality to maintain and to lose body fat, mm. and that in itself shocks people. They're like, hang on a second, I thought if I wanted to lose weight, I just need to go on a couple more runs. We know that it's a really poor sole modality to contribute to fat loss. Yeah. So if we remove that from the equation, if we remove any relation of fat loss to exercise, I actually think that a lot of people will really would really shift their exercise habits. Yeah. And it's not that they'd probably do way less, but they'd probably be a bit more, and going back to using that original word, intuitive with how much they do. But I think that because so many of us are tied up in this idea that exercise equals energy loss, mm. it equals quote unquote burning calories, we have a certain mindset that we need to do a certain amount in order for it to be worthy or valid. Yeah. And I think that that's the difficult equation that we need to undo. So first of all, your fitness tracker is lying to you. <laughs> Most of them are wildly inaccurate. There was a piece of research that came out recently. I quoted it on my Instagram not long ago that did, it was from Stanford University and it showed how inaccurate the top range of fitness trackers was. So I think at best they were, totally inaccurate and at worst they were completely off the mark so I would say that what people tend to value as a sign of a good workout is and I wear one by the way and I'll explain that in a second but the watch on their wrist telling them that they've done enough yeah so I think the first thing that people can do is within yourself know that whatever feels like a good workout to you yeah. and sometimes that will look different and again going back to the fact that it's different for everyone is probably enough yeah but if you also feel like you're not doing enough, then that's okay as well. And you can start to increase it. But your watch on your wrist isn't a good sign of a good workout. Your idea of exercise being about calorie burn is probably not a good sign of a good workout. The amount you've sweated is probably not a sign of a good workout. So if we take all those things away, I would say enough exercise is however much you feel keeps you at a level of good physical fitness and enjoying what you're doing. Yeah. It's a really boring answer, but, but it kind of, again, going back to like most of my points, I think that we wrap so much of this stuff up in diet culture, in, yeah. in calories burned and in, in how much we've exerted. And actually I think that it, it can be very different. So yeah, enough is, is gonna be really hard to answer, yeah. but it means that like, find within yourself what feels like enough to you. And I know for me, that looks like at the moment, like I'm doing three strength training sessions a week, one boxing session. I'll do one day of filming a week for the app, which I count as training. On my two rest days, I will, you know, go for a nice long walk. I'll still be active, yeah. but I am allowing myself to have kind of rest. And I think that that, that to me is my enough, but that will look very different, for example, with you. Yeah. And as you get fitter as well, you know in yourself whether you've actually like, you know, challenged yourself a little bit and pushed yourself versus if you are actually being, you know, a little bit 
I don't want to say the word lazy because if you're doing exercise, you're not lazy. But you know, you know within yourself yeah. whether you're pushing yourself. But I think it also brings us to a really important topic, which is recovery. Yeah. Because actually, if we're thinking about genuine recovery, that should be our focus, not how much we're doing. Yeah. So it should be how well am I recovering from the training that I'm doing, and that should dictate how much training and I should be doing. And that's a great measure of fitness as well, how quickly you can recover. Exactly. I've noticed as I've like progressed in my running journey a bit more I recover from a long run much faster and that the long run itself might not be any quicker but actually the recovery is better so I am getting fitter completely and for example like if I had a brand new client who'd never trained before I wouldn't put them in at doing four or five sessions a week because their body is at a different training age to someone like me who's had 10 years of strength training and can tolerate a higher training threshold so it's about understanding that and if someone is not exercising at all and they just need to move their body the first step could be one a week Mm -hmm. Or a 20 minute walk at lunch or something, because that is better than doing nothing. And I think people find it very overwhelming that they think, oh, well, I need to go to the gym four or five days a week, which means my entire social life has to go out the window. I can't juggle this. And, you know, many people have children to pick up or jobs that aren't flexible. And it seems completely overwhelming. So they don't even start. Yeah. And they think I'll, I'll start in the new year. You know, we can touch on that. Mm. There'll be so many people that are getting ready to do the whole new year, new me, big physical change in January. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to them? Yeah, I think that it's a really crucial time in the fitness calendar, shall we call it. But I think that I love the fact that, you know, and I I don't discount the fact that a new year is a really fresh time for people to have a sense of refocusing and realigning with what matters to them and what they want to get out of the year. So I'm not going to sit here and say, we shouldn't be doing the new year, new me thing. However, so much of that new year, new me is wrapped up in, I need to lose weight. Mm. And I think that if you could, for this year, set out with something that's a slightly different focus and needing to lose weight, maybe it's that for 2024, your goal is going to be, I want to run a 10K and I want to get my first pull up. Already you've shifted that mindset. And it might be that in pursuing those goals, your body composition changes, but it's not your sole purpose of setting out on this goal. And also, and this is the difficult thing, the new year, new me rhetoric fosters this idea that change happens quite quickly. Mm. It's like, I'm going to start in January and by the end of Jan, I, I should see changes. And I think that one of the number one things that I recognize as being an inhibitor when it comes to people progressing in their fitness goals and in their you know, general well-being goals is they don't see change fast enough. Now, the reality is that change takes time. You and I both know this. We've been training for a long time. Does that mean that I can suddenly head out on a 10K run or suddenly be able to do 10 pull-ups in a row? No, this stuff takes time. Mm. I've had clients that have come back after a week and been like, oh, I went on the scale. And this is, you know, before I've changed my ways, but I went on the scale and I've not actually lost anything. And it's like, no, because the reality is that our bodies take time Mm. to see differences, to see these changes. And so what I would advise people against is putting a certain time metric on it or thinking that results are gonna come quickly. Again, it takes me back to my point of like having wider and more kind of tangible goals. Take the focus away from anything about your body, about how you look, Make it about amazing challenges. I want to run a 10K. What an incredible thing to be able to do. And from a health perspective, you know, a bad workout literally doesn't exist. You might take a long time to get your first pull up, Mm. but the things you're doing for your long-term health, you know, improvements in blood glucose, blood pressure, reducing your risk of cancers, heart disease, literally every disease I could think of pretty much, 
you can't see those benefits. Yeah. And so even while you're working towards that goal, whatever it may be, you can still walk out of any movement you do and think, I've actually just spent however amount of time mm. bettering my long-term health. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And exactly. people need to keep that in mind. But we don't like that. We don't We don't like to think about the future. We all like, yeah. the, like the now. We want now, I want to look great now. <laughs> so uh, we're coming to the kind of the last few questions. And I think one thing that's really pertinent in today's climate is people who don't have access to a gym. Mm. You know, it, it's, it, it can be expensive and it may not be a priority for someone or not even possible. Can we work out effectively without a gym? Absolutely. I mean, I built my whole app on like training from home. I think that my objective with exercise is to make it as accessible as possible, that everyone should have access to a way of working out and that that, you know, it shouldn't be an elitist thing. It shouldn't be for the few. It should be for all. So I think that my app, other, you know, even those who have, you know, and I won't discount the fact that there are some brilliant people doing like free workouts on YouTube. I've got loads of free stuff on my Instagram. It should be accessible. And I think that Gyms can be a really tricky environment for people to find themselves in. You know, I love it, but I know it's not for everyone. So if the gym isn't for you, that's fine. Training from home can be brilliant. Training on your own, whether it's, you know, in your living room or going for a run or whatever, whatever makes you feel good, do it. Doesn't have to be in a gym. Great to hear that. (laughs) I have a little tradition on this podcast, which I ask every guest. What is your vision of health? What does health look like to you? Oh, okay. I mean, I love that question, by the way. My vision of health, I would say my vision of health is freedom and the freedom to live a life that I genuinely enjoy without being weighed down by the expectation of needing to look a certain way. So yeah, I would say it, it it's about, you know, and obviously like we could distill that down into, you know, I now have a regular menstrual fun- like cycle and I now sleep better and I now have a brain that actually works yay (laughs) but I think expanding out and and from a macro view I guess it would be I have freedom Mm. I total freedom with my food choices with my ability to decide whether or not I want to exercise with my whole approach to health I have freedom and I think that is what I would wish for everyone as their vision of health I love that (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the podcast I always love our conversations it's so good where can people find you well, I live in Fulham. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I am on Instagram at Alice Living and my app is called Give Me Strength. My podcast is also called Give Me Strength. So yeah, check me out there. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Vision of Health. I hope you take away some realistic and practical health advice that you can actually incorporate in your busy lives to become the healthiest version of yourself. If you want to hear more from me, then make sure you hit the subscribe button, share this episode, and also go follow me on Instagram at DrFrankieJS, where I post a regular series of Women's Health Wednesdays with our wonderful sponsors, FemFresh. I'll see you next time.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.